This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. When they shut you down for a week, arbitrarily like that, they shut down everything we feed off of YouTube. At Warthog. Not just YouTube. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Coach Hall's first. I'll do that then. Um, Help me! No audio. Um, check that for me, please, Jason. Okay. Should be fine. Uh, sorry, I apologize for that, listeners. I don't control that, but thanks for letting me know. Okay. Um, as I was saying, I'll back up and say one more time that the uh, game was a crowd pleaser. Um, sound good now. Thank you, Robbie. Um, 
the game was a crowd pleaser because it was in doubt right up to the very end, even though a lot of pundits uh, thought it would be an easy game for the Gators. I don't know exactly where that comes from, but, you know, it comes. Nevertheless, people have opinions, and um, the proof is in the actual play of the game. And the Bulls easily could have won it. I say easily, I mean it was within their reach had they not had a couple of miscues and a couple of good fortune things. So it was a very good game for a spectator. And I, I happened to watch this one from um, uh, a, a vantage point where a lot of people were around me. And I, I can tell you that their heartbeats had increased during that ending. So the Gator game in that respect was a success. And I suppose in terms of cloud, a crowd pleasure, they've all been a success. Even losing to Kentucky was, if you will, a cliffhanger and a, and a crowd pleaser. Now, we don't know what's going to go on in Tennessee. All the uh, pundits here would be, and perhaps they're right this time, would be that uh, the, the uh, Tennessee will be the more experienced team and beat the Gator. But, you know, there's something about the Gators' behavior in Tennessee that belies all predictions, and they usually beat Tennessee. I don't know why, but they just, even when they had Manning, I don't think Manning ever beat Florida. So there's a lot of um, interesting wiggles to all that, and we'll see how that game turns out. I think it's a noon game uh, next week, if I remember, and we'll see how that goes. So the other thing that's very interesting is uh, that was a 31 to 28 score, by the way, and um, it is um, uh, uh, it is indicative of what's going on in football, too, perhaps. There's a lot of parity. I just want to ask you a uh, uh, reference back here to what some things are that are going on. According to the NCAA data, there were more than 3,083 football players from the top half of Division I who entered the transfer portal during the 2021-2022 academic year, according to uh, Lane Higgins, who writes about this, went and looked up this data. Let me repeat that for you. According to NCAA data, more than 3,083 football players from the top half of Division I entered the transfer portal during the 2021-2022 academic year. This has resulted in what has uh, been called musical chairs, and it's been uh, accompanied somewhat by the coaching changes, too. There's been a lot of musical chairs in, in the coaches, and uh, you've got this coach going here and that coach going there, all at preposterously big amounts of money. And so you factor in the musical chairs among the coaches and then among the players, and you have a new, maybe, let's look at it positively, uh, thrilling kind of combination for spectators. Um, for example, the, the Quinn Ewers, who is the highest ranked recruit Ohio State ever signed, now starts at Texas whose former starter is suiting up for Nebraska, whose former quarterback is now at Kansas State. So you go figure. There's no real kind of protection if, if uh, our boy, uh, um, uh, our quarterback, um, Richardson, doesn't pan out. There's really nothing to keep us from getting another one from another school if uh, the word goes forth. And vice versa, if he were to be exceptionally good, which so far he hasn't been, there might be somebody else want to pluck him away. 
Um, you have to recall how much things have changed because uh, Lane Higgins mentions the fact that Eric Dickerson, who was one of the great running backs uh, who played for Southern Methodist in the 80s, uh, started a scandal when a brand new uh, Trans Am showed up in his driveway and it ended up giving uh, Southern Methodist from the NCAA the death penalty. And uh, the school's football program was completely uh, expunged for a while. The um, now we've got this money, which not just Trans Am in your in your driveway, but we got a lump sum uh, going now to twenty five thousand dollars. Every scholarship player gets and several walk ons at Texas Tech, and this is a one time payment of up to six or seven figures to a star player in exchange for signing autographs, making appearances, and endorsing charities. So there's millions of dollars now flying around, and nobody really knows who is in charge of it. Um, the collectives are not reined in right now, and the opinion is this is not sustainable. Uh, since there are no kind of rules or regulations as the Wild West, um, there's no clear understanding of how these endorsement deals can be struck with recruits and what is an inducement and what isn't an inducement. But uh, the courts have ruled that athletes may earn up to $5,900 per year in academic awards, whatever that is. So, and then on top of that, you have a new format uh, for the playoff, which is uh, six spots will be reserved for the highest ranked conference champions meaning that the so-called Power Five conferences, the Atlantic Coast Conference, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, Southeastern Conference, will not be guaranteed spots in the playoff. So it's going to be a bumpy road, to quote uh, uh, Mr. Higgins, and it's going to be filled with uh, peaks and valleys of optimism and pessimism because things are not necessarily uh, what – they appear to be in the past. So um, the uh, Gator victory was um, um, a squeaker. But as I say, the only way I can really look at it without getting overwhelmed by false uh, predictions. And it's just it was a it was a good game for the crowd. I mean, it was in the it was in the uh, um, um, balance right up to the very end. So um, that's the way it's supposed to be, is it not? If you take away all this, uh, you know, mad commitment for your favorite team while you just look at the dollars and the beers and all that stuff sold. So in terms of the pro league, I was intrigued yesterday by our three state teams. If you can believe it, the Jaguars look good. You know, we went through this thing with Urban Meyer, and I can tell you that that looked like a glum outfit when he was there for whatever reason. But now this bunch is really excited. They do what we call in football, fly around out there and do something even if it's wrong. And um, they're all about getting involved and, and uh, going full speed. And and look like they're enjoying it. They beat the Colts 24 to nothing. And I sat there and watched it like I, I always have watched the Jaguars. Even I've been back to uh, our, our guys playing there. But. And they had the great Tony Pasillo, who is in the Hall of Fame. But, um, you know, they've always been ups and downs and 
you know, but they're Jaguars, they're Jacksonville. So, you know, I paid attention to them. And of course, for a long time, I go back to the Dolphins with Larry Zonka and Murphy Morris and uh, that crowd that was so exciting in Warfield. And by golly, if the Dolphins didn't come back and beat the Ravens 42-38 with this great left-handed quarterback out of Alabama who can get it done. They look pretty darn good. So the, it's looking up for the Jaguars and the Dolphins. And of course, as, as long as we have the old man out there, the 45-year-old man at the quarterback, um, they're going to always be competitive and draw a big crowd. And they beat the Saints 20 to 10. So if you're one who enjoys going to the games in Florida, you've got three choices here, really. If you want to go personally, you can go down and see the Dolphins, or you can go oh, see the Bucks, or you can see the Jaguars. Now, it used to be they practically gave away the tickets to the Jaguars. But if the Jaguars keep winning, uh, you can bet that there's going to be more than uh, demand for them, and it might be a little bit exciting over there. So the parity is what I guess I'm suggesting may exist in the NFL. The Bears, for example, who lost, nevertheless, did some bear, uh, uh, daring maneuvers in the offseason, acquiring young guys and this and that one another. And so there seems to be that kind of, uh, uh, you know, thing going on in the league where get them out there and get them going and let them fly. And, and, and once again, that's good for spectators. So Coach Hogg today is kind of looking at this, not from whether your favorite team won or lost, but from whether uh, it was a crowd pleaser. And many of these games with the pros were crowd pleasers hanging on a missed field goal or this or that in overtime. And, of course, we almost went into an overtime with the Gators. If it had not been for a fumble snap probably to the Bulls holder, we might have been there in overtime. So uh, the, 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 the football changes are still playing out their effect. And nobody really knows we're in uncharted territory what it's all going to amount to, but we certainly certainly have got name, image, and likeness. We've got the collectives. Uh, we've got guys who are making money, and we have got coaches who are being paid money, and they've got to produce or they'll be gone. And, and if players produce, they'll be gone. Ironically, they can go where they want to go, and I gave you two or three examples. So that was my story today from Coach Hogg's locker room. Good morning, Jody Davis. So I gave him a shout-out. He always likes when I do that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about local stuff because there's a landlord crisis. I don't call it a rental crisis. I call it a landlord crisis. And I'm going to tell you that there are two or three factors working that are really not being played into your formula properly. One of the things which I was briefed on a few months ago, which um, a lot of officials at Florida denied was really going on, seems to be actually going on. And here's what it is. Uh, locally, for example, the continuum and uh, the uh, uh, McGuire Village and the University of Village South. Now, these are going to be uh, replaced. Athletic fields are going to replace them. So they need a new place to put the people. And so what does the university do? It buys the continuum, which is a and the Varsity House, which are privately owned apartment complexes. And that's going to be, in effect, the dorms. 
Now, I was told this by a pretty reliable source who pretty much knows the inside baseball on um, the University of Florida's five, six, seven-year plan, whatever you want to call it. Um, the, uh, what the university is going to begin doing, and this is an indication of it, they're going to buy up the private apartments around the university, and then they're going to use what has been dorms on the university for research and other things and athletic fields, whatever they need them for. Now, let me tell you a couple really bad things about that. One, these apartment complexes are then owned by the state. Do you, unless I'm wrong here, and I've got some guys watching the show who may know more than I do about this, but I'm not a newcomer to it. Those properties will go off the tax rolls. Are you with me? And if anybody sees it differently, uh, Tim Martin, Jody Davis, you guys let me know. Uh, but that's the way I understand private ownership and uh, state ownership works. The reason the taxes are so high in Alachua County is because it was at one time 50%. It may well now be more than that. 50% of the property in this county is off the tax rolls. So who makes up for it? The private property owner. And the private property owner either is owns his or her own house, which is under jeopardy in terms of value by the inclusion of affordable housing being stuck right next door. So here you are, you have a single family residence, you have a school zone and this and that, and all of a sudden there's a high rise apartment deal crammed right into your neighborhood and you've got students and all this stuff running around uh, it's bound to happen, is it not, because of the will of the obstinate city commission. So that puts tension on the private landowner and raises the private landowner's taxes. The university purchase of private property for state use puts more and more taxes off the records. And uh, therefore, the remaining private ownership will be the ones who have to take up the slack. And on top of that, <clears throat> we have an insane kind of mentality here that somehow the students and the renter are getting screwed by landlords because they just don't keep the properties up. And the property owners are getting whacked from a couple of different perspectives. One, as you know, is the insurance company pullout from the state of Florida. All of a sudden, you private property owners, be it rental or your home, you're going to get from your insurance companies, hey, if you don't put a new roof on your place, we're going to drop you. And that goes for citizens as well, citizens state insurance. Now, you need to jump into the roofing business if you haven't been in it. I got a friend who used to love hurricanes, for example. Couldn't wait till a hurricane came through Florida and up the coast and ravaged all the states. He said it's the only time we've got, as blue-collar working guys, an opportunity to be paid for our job right on the spot. So what they would do is they'd grab a pick -em up truck, and they'd load it up with chainsaws and a couple of strong good old boys, and they would follow the storm up the coast, cutting what? Trees off of people's houses, out of their yards, 
and getting a check right there on the spot from the insurance company. So there's never an ill wind that, that doesn't blow somebody a good. I learned that from the sailors, from my professional fishing friends. There is never an ill wind that doesn't blow somebody a good. And these guys looked at the misfortune for many of the hurricane to be good fortune for them because they were needed. And now if you are in the roofing business, get in it because you're going to not be able to roof fast enough to keep up with the pressure that's going to be placed on insurance companies, on private owners of homes and rentals. And on top of that, factor in the Scalachua County Commission that is going to impose on you all sorts of what? Restrictions and uh, searches and permits and all of this crap that's going to be happening um, in order to do what? Um, keep up what? It's an Alachua County Commission approved rental permitting and inspection ordinance. Now, the other day we saw a fellow named Terry Martin back, whom I've had on the show, lose it. I don't know how else to put it. He just lost it. This is big money to a lot of people. All of a sudden, you've got roofs, and all of a sudden, you've got rental permitting. All of a sudden, you've got inspection ordinances. Um, come on. What are you trying to do? Place more financial burden on landlords? And you're talking about affordable housing. The landlords have nothing, no choice, but to pass them on to the renters. Now, there is a silver cloud in all this. I've told you this before. Pay attention. The higher the entrance requirements are for the University of Florida students, the University of Florida students, the higher their quote unquote national ranking is, the higher you can get for your rents. And you say, well, how the heck does that work? Because a student doesn't get into the University of Florida. There are not that many geniuses. You're only looking at one, and that's yours truly here. There are not that many geniuses. And so what do you do if you're a caring couple and really nurture and worry about the future of your children? You spend all kinds of money on tutorial this and tutorial that, and education supplements this, and education supplements that. And, they, and that's how they get in. They don't come geniuses. They ain't that many, as I've said. So and I don't know any that I hang out with. I wish I could find a couple. So then I could talk to people. But here's a deal. That is directly related to the standards, if you will, the university imposes on qualifying students. They are coming from, now listen, they holler racism, this that's hidden racism, if you want to play that card. How many black families, and you would think there'd be more and more, uh, do this for their children? The same thing that the white families do for their children. Send them to this and send them to that and send them to private schools and this and that. How many do that? You see, then you get into really what we're doing here as a university. The more we want to rank among the elite as university bureaucrats, the more discrimination we impose 
on those who don't have the family support system to get them qualified to come to the university. So you've spent all this money on these kids to get them here. Why, my golly, you're going to spend the money on the rents as well. And so that's the way it works. I mean, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. And if I'm lying, I'm fine. And I don't even have a co-pilot's license. So Palacio County has gone and done so many things that really are going to have exactly the opposite effect. The rental permitting inspection ordinance, bull wacky, is going to be a financial burden to parents of students who have already had to spend a lot of money on their kids to get them in. And it's just going to be passed on. If it's not passed on, then paradoxically, the landlord who has been many times, it's a teacher who I, I'm told that Mary Ellen Wheeler owns a bunch of places. She's a teacher. She did what people who teach do in a town. They try to buy a house here and there and, you know, build a little equity in it and then build another one and build a little supplemental wealth. And, you know, that's the way it's worked for so many. So they, if they can't do that, then they're going to let that house lie fallow. And that's going to become uh, one less, one fewer, since the fewer is for what you can count, uh, one fewer item of that is on the tax rolls. So Ramey Glenn is the only one who has any sense, it appears right now, on the county commission. And she voted against it. I know Ramey Glenn. I think she's a smart lady. She's a quiet lady, but she understands some things um, that uh, really um, the others are not courageous enough to or smart enough to take a good hard look at. So this is going to start on January 1st, 2023, which is odd because these leases don't run from January. Generally, the leases run from the fall into the uh, late summer. Uh, so all of a sudden you see all uh, this crap is going to start and it's not going to be supported by increased rents for at least six or seven months. If these leases run on the cycle, I think they're, and the fee is $122 per unit. I don't know what unit means, uh, but it is more political garbage. It is, um, uh, it's just going to absolutely, and then that's on top of the city interference. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I got to tell you, it's it's a it's a strange situation to live in a university town, particularly when the city commission is an extension of the University of Florida bureaucrats who don't give a hoot about local students. Now, let me give you an example. Once upon this is a land grant University of Florida. It was given the land by the people in the state of Florida given to them. Now, Santa Fe College was given its land uh, by the Hofflers and the Hofflers on the uh, campus out there. Although we had to buy the last 15 acres of land that gave us an extension over to 39. And we paid more for that. Uh, then, you know, it, it's incredible how much money we paid for that 15 acres. So we had to have it, though, because we had to have a view on 39. But initially, the Hofflers, who were the only family in the United States of America, to own all four corners of an interstate, 
couldn't get anything to come out there. And so they gave the land to the university, uh, to Santa Fe, about 80 or 90 acres. Wonderful, bless them. And we began Santa Fe College. So, but the university got its land from a land grant and therefore is tax exempt. And it really, when I was working with Senator Graham on Amendment 11, representing the community colleges in the state of Florida, I was the president of the presidents of the senates of the community college senates in the state of Florida. Not only was I was a president, you know, Jody Davis watching this, not only was I the president of the Santa Fe Senate, I was president of the state of Florida community college senates. Okay, then you're looking at a really rare dude here. Okay, and so when we worked on that, we found out uh, that the community champions its university not for its standards that it uh, has for entrance to students, because once upon a time, if you had a gentleman's C, you could get into the University of Florida. And what you became as you graduated, let's say, with a gentleman's C, and you went out and became a very successful businessman, alumni, and you gave back to the University of Florida. These people who are coming in now quite frequently aren't from Florida and really don't hold any allegiance to Florida. That's another story. But we found out in polling that Senator Graham did um, that the community cares most about the economic impact of the university on its businesses locally. So here we have basically a university negatively impacting the rental business in the University of Florida community by private landlords in a huge way, okay, in a huge way. A negative impact. The unit, conversely, it's a paradox here. Some of you are smart enough to watch this. As the entrance requirements go up, and as the lust um, 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 for rankings goes up, the positive influence on the local community by the university goes down. Okay? Goes down. Now, right now, that's a hypothesis. You may test it yourself with your own accounting abilities, your own economic understanding, and you may test my hypothesis. And please feel free to criticize it, to suggest changes to it, or to uh, you know contribute to it. That's a, that's, what, that's what this show is about. So uh, that is some of the freaky things going on right now by these people. I, I don't know what, you know, it's impossible for somebody like me to get elected to a commission spot. Uh, I'm too honest. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm too honest. Besides, I'm not interested anymore anyway. So um, this is this is something that you, you really, really need to. Uh, when we get back from our bottom of the hour break, I'm going to talk about the importance of police reports. And I'm going to I'm going I'm to chat with you for a moment about once again, this big thing was in the Gainesville sunset yesterday, uh, taking apart and analyzing the so far uh, um, uh, um, I lost my, I was looking at Tim Martin's comments, uh, these questions about the dog bite. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Stay tuned.
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Wards Got Files. Gunny Wards Weather Report here brought to you by Lewis Oil, a great sponsor, a great friend. Any, any Chevron stations, all practically all the gas that comes out of a pump comes from Lewis Oil. So uh, the weather really has been uh, – the story about the weather is not so much here, although we're getting closer now to dipping below 70 degrees at night, so our grass is going to stop growing. Uh, we mowed one more time here Friday, uh, but the grass was not aggressively uh, growing as it had been when we were getting the rain. It was warmer at night. Remember, grass grows at night, and uh, – we're going to stay below, well below 90 today. Actually, it was very pleasant yesterday. I got on the tractors and rode around and got some things done uh, because of the ability to get out there and not sweat yourself crazy. And uh, it was kind of fun yesterday. The um, uh, big story, though, is the storm that hit Puerto Rico. Uh, and it has really um, made a mess. 25 inches of rain. It's called it's Fiona, and it's caused territory-wide blackout. I'm just going to read you a couple of blurbs off AccuWeather. It's a, a fragile power grid in Puerto Rico to begin with, and it's created an island-wide crisis. The electrical system went completely out of service, and 
uh, I'll guarantee you they don't have backup generators like we do here, uh, knocked out 1.4 million track residents of the island. Uh, this is according to Power Outage US. Um, outages were at over 500,000 residents Sunday morning before the territory-wide blackout. Also blacked out internet. Uh, that's something you always got to think about. And these damages are catastrophic to the island, according to the Associated Press, because of not only the power blackouts and all of that, which it brings, but also uh, the island's perilous financial situation. I'll put it to you, Puerto Rico's a mess. It has always been a mess. And if you remember before when Trump was in, we sent money down there somehow, it didn't get distributed properly for the big storm. I don't know what's wrong with it. It's a dysfunctional. Even my friends who are Puerto Ricans tell me, uh, you know, I ain't, I ain't in a hurry to go back there. The place is not uh, hook, uh, hitting on all cylinders. Um, the uh, the uh, lights even went out ex unexpectedly in a room where uh, the power of the bureaucrats were doing their briefing. Uh, and um, this was how, this is how fragile the power grid there is. Um, the uh, Hurricane Maria in 2017 wreck the whatever was stable, if there could be used that word, in the island's power grid. Uh, uh, the path of this hurricane coincides with the one that Maria left. So there you go. It's a double whammy. Um, it's, uh, it's, really, it's really a mess. So um, the, these, these widespread power outages, destructive flooding, um, over 20 inches of rain was more still was yet to come. Um, it, it's really it's really kind of a, an amazing accumulation of disasters there. The um, um, uh, the 550 million dollars in emergency funds. Um, I think they had it. I don't know if they were able to use it, get it distributed, or going to have a way to get it distributed. But they're already asking for federal assistance. We have pumped a lot of money into Puerto Rico over the years. And the first time I ever heard of the issues in Puerto Rico, uh, Rico was when uh, Puerto Ricans tried to assassinate Harry Truman. Um, I remember that as a kid, and it was the first time I'd ever realized that a president could be in jeopardy uh, from, you know, things that were really kind of off the radar, especially of me. Um, I didn't know as a little kid much about anything going on off the, off the coast, and all of a sudden, uh, Harry Truman has barely saved his life. If you are an old timer, you'll remember that. I want to talk a moment about uh, police reports. The Gainesville Sun had a big sunset, uh, had a big um, thing Sunday about uh, rehashing and going through. Uh, it was written by the um, uh, Javon Harris. I don't know that person. Um, but um, I, I suggest if you haven't done so, you go to Ward's, uh, um, I guess it's Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. And you look at my piece, which I wrote, which the Gainesville Sun would not publish because it was too long, called The Ride Along. Now, I hope you all understand that if you want to find out what's going on in police work, do a ride along. They welcome that. You go down to the station. You can either ride along with ASO or you can ride along with GPD. I rode along with GPD. I rode along with GPD on a Saturday night uh, with a black officer. 
uh, in the tough neighborhoods. That's deliberately what I wanted to do. And um, I wrote a piece about it called The Ride Along. And I want to tell you a little bit about what I learned from that. For one thing, you will learn that a policeman is such a combination of hats he wears. He is a psychologist. He is a officer of the law. He's a parent. He's a counselor. These are the roles I saw my buddy play that day, that evening. I'm just giving you the different abilities he had to have. Um, He was also the fastest officer on uh, the GPD at that time. So the first thing we encountered was something that I thought initially as a citizen was a waste of time, a waste of resources, and uh, we needed to move on. And uh, we took off at four in the afternoon and we got a call right away that there had been some violence perpetrated on a female by a male in a place that was a project. It was a project, but it was not a high rise project. It was in um, the the east side of town. It was a, um, a place where people lived on marginal um uh, finances and we pulled into it and went into the unit and there was a sobbing woman and I soon realized that what had happened is her boyfriend who was, had already fled the scene wasn't available had choked her and banged her head on the little living room wall of her unit well, that living room wall was so thin that the lady's friend, who was a female on the other side of that wall, who resided in her own little unit, knew what was going on. She'd heard that before. And she jumped up and went around to get involved. And when she did, the perpetrator fled. And so the woman who had been uh, choked and head banged on the wall and the other friend, her lady friend, were sitting there together when we arrived. Well, the first thing that struck me were all the pictures we took. I, I said to the, my, my buddy, I said, I'm going to disguise his name. I said, you know, I just call him my buddy. I said, what are you taking all these pictures? He said, oh, I just got, this is part of the record. I got to take all these pictures. We know this guy. He's done this before. But I still got to take all the pictures. So he took all the pictures. Now, we had arrived. Then, on top of that, the ambulance arrived. You know, the ambulance is the big truck, big square box truck, diesel engine. It arrives. Because this woman's sobbing and, you know, we don't know her injuries. And then, on top of that, the fire truck arrives. Okay. And it's got its engine on and it's running. And suddenly this little tiny room is filled with all of us. It must be two, six to eight people in that room, little tiny room. And it becomes apparent that we need to check out this woman's injuries for her own good. 
because he's banged her head on the wall. We don't whether she has a terminal, uh, you know, the, the, the hemorrhage. You know, we don't know. So I'm watching. I'm thinking, we're doing this. I mean, this has happened so many times before. We're doing it again. Yeah. So they have to give the woman the instructions. We advise you, let us take you to the emergency room. Well, she didn't want to go. I don't blame her, but she didn't want to go. But her friend talks her into it and says, if you don't go, he's going to kill you next time. So finally, she gets in the square box ambulance and goes. And the argument was about this. This woman lived on some sort of federal assistance check, very modest, but she was frugal. She bought food. She took care of herself, had a life, but she had a boyfriend. The boyfriend had a job. He was a mason. He worked in the masonry construction world. He made money, he had a paycheck. But he was also a drug addict. And he would spend his money on drugs. And he would come to her place and eat her food and never replace what he took out of her refrigerator. And she'd had enough. She tried to help. She said, listen, you're making money. But you're spending your money on drugs. You should be bringing food to the refrigerator if you take it because I'm buying the food and I don't have the money. At which time he told her, settle down there now or whatever, grabbed her by the throat and banged her head against the wall. Well, I'm thinking, and this has happened before. It's going to happen again. How much money did we just spend? on a fire truck, an ambulance, and eight guys. Take me out of it, seven guys. And then the government assistance for the housing. Oh my God, you know, it's going on and on. So we get in there, we start riding around. And I'm not gonna get into all the other things. You read the ride along and you'll get into it. Oh, at one point, I will, I'll tell you one more story. It was a fender bender over on Depot Avenue. And as life would have it, my buddy was black and the little female, young female, very pleasantly dressed, very, you know, obviously somebody cared for her. She wasn't, you know, in a flamboyant outfit or anything. She was a, you know, a nice looking young lady had bumped into, well, I don't know what happened, but a car that had been occupied by I think they were Korean. I'm not sure. But um, she immediately had called her parents. Her parents were coming. Her parents arrived, had a mother and a father. Very nice black couple. And the Korean, I'm going to call it Korean. I'm not sure if it was Korean. But the Korean guy immediately took a look at the fact that we had a black police officer, a black young lady driving and black parents and hollered racism. Are you with me now? 
the Korean guy accused the blacks of being racist and teaming up against him. And then feigned as if he couldn't understand English. So my guy, we had to go through all this trouble of finding an interpreter. And finally, we found an interpreter in an adjacent apartment who came over. And we told him, I'm saying my buddy told him, here's the report. I'm filling it out. He's got to sign it. And I'm thinking to myself, my golly, you know, that Korean guy learned how to play the game right away. Four blacks against me. That must be racism. I'll play that card. Mind you, no white folks involved in this. No white folks at all. You don't read about this in a paper. You don't see this anywhere. It's not the way you're supposed to write the story, right? That's why you don't need to go read the ride along in Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. So we go from there and we go to some other things. And I'll, I'm going to condense it. But at the end of the night, at 2.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock maybe, and we're off the ship. We're sitting in Steak and Shake, my buddy and I. Having the first thing we've had to eat since early in the afternoon. Oh, there's another story I'll tell you too, but I can't tell you today. It, 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 it takes a little bit of time. But very interesting. Um, we were sitting in Steak and Shake. And my buddy is making the police report up of what we had experienced that night. Okay. Now, there wasn't just one incident to write about. There were several things that we had encountered. So there were several reports that he had to write. Now, I am a professor of writing. You haven't figured that out yet. And I'm watching him write this. And I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. When I was at Santa Fe College, I would get in my class occasionally a group of police cadets who had come to study writing with me. And you know why? Because I was demanding and I would teach them how to be precise. And you know why? Because these reports are scrutinized. This thing in the Gainesville sunset is a bunch of cheap shots. Ferreted out trying to play the race card. But let me tell you, when we were sitting in the steak and shake and my buddy was writing a report about, and by the way, I'm going to tell you the other, we had to circle back about oh, well into the night, I don't know, nine or 10 o'clock at night to the emergency room of the hospital to check on the lady who'd had her head banged on the wall. And I was just, you know, I was riding along. I was just watching. But he whispers to me, everything depends upon what this emergency room physician says. I said, really? He says, yeah. If he says that when that man banged that lady's head on the wall, those injuries were life-threatening and the choking marks around her neck, then 
we're going to go after him and charge him with a felony of attempted murder. If he says they weren't, he gets away again. Well, we're sitting there waiting on that emergency room physician to come in. Finally comes in. It's a male. My buddy asked the question, were these injuries life-threatening? The emergency room physician says no. There you are. There you are. There you are. We'll, we'll repeat that a million times. So we're sitting in a steak and shake. And he's writing his report. And this is when I knew he was really careful, a careful writer. He looked up at me because what the guy had done when he came into her apartment, he had taken a sandwich out of her refrigerator that was hers and he had taken it for himself. And my buddy was doing the writing of the report on that particular incident and all of a sudden just looked up at me and stared off into space and said the following, all this over a sandwich. All this over a sandwich. You can go read it. Go read the entire thing and write along in Warsaw Bulletin Board. I learned right then that my buddy understood how important it is to write carefully. Now, mind you, he and I were the only ones that night together in that car, stopping and getting it. We never, we only had one instance where we had to call him back up. And that was kind of scary. We called him back up. And we had another instance that was scary, but we got by it. We had to go by a place in the dark, cut our lights out, roll up the place, cut the engine off, and try to catch this escaped convict. And we went up there where we thought he was. But he had been tipped off by a black male who was standing in the middle of the street, drunk, hollering. I asked my buddy, what's that all about? He's the, he's the warning. He's the lookout. He has warned this guy that I'm coming. So the guy was gone when we got there. But anyway, this report. Take this dog biting thing in the Bradley case. The Gainesville Sunset has gone back. They didn't ride along. They weren't there and picked apart the report. And this is why I told these guys in my class that you all better thank me for being hard on you, and you'd rather I be hard on you as your teacher than the public be hard on you. Now, for example, out of this thing that was published in the Sunset yesterday, here's a quote. The language running a stop sign in the arrest report narrative is an error and writ was written out of habit, according to Officer Millman. Now, apparently, 
There was not a stop sign there when this fellow left the apartments. He ran a stop sign when leaving an apartment, though no such sign exists. When asked directly by a Sun reporter during his press conference, Scott acknowledged the mistake. He later said in an interview that Bradley failed to stop completely when leading, leaving a private driveway. Well, let me tell you about that. We stopped a guy because his music was too loud. Late at night, this, this music, I'm sure you've, you have sat at stop signs. Music was so loud that six or seven cars away could be vibrating. We pulled that guy over on a noise violation. And by the way, it's impossible to measure noise accurately. So if you take it to court, you probably beat it. But why did we pull it over? Because there's a good chance that if you're riding down the road, doing that carelessly and not caring about other people, that is your life pattern. And there's a good chance that when we pull you over, we'll find other things that are scoff violations of the public laws. Obviously, to me, that's what was going on here. Obviously, this character was known to GPD. And obviously, there was a good chance that one minor transgression indicated a bigger one. Some of the other things I looked at in this newspaper article is at one point Scott talks about this writing, this guy who wrote this report. That's just a young officer, you know, not properly relaying what actually happened. That young officer needs to be in Professor Warthog's writing class. Okay? Young has nothing to do with it. Age has nothing to do with writing accurately. Absolutely nothing. Unless you get senile like I'm getting and get over the hill and can't remember your name. But that is irrelevant. Then there is a comment. Arrest reports are navigated through the court process. Navigated through the court process. Back to my buddy writing an accurate report at the Steak and Shake about the violence taking place over a sandwich. If it's well written, it will navigate through the court process very, very smoothly. That's my story and I'm sticking to it, my friends. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.